Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast family. So today we are talking influencer marketing with a really... Uh, somebody who's really got this dialed in. I was going to say a real expert, but not just overcomplicating it. Real experts, in my experience, are the people who can simplify the complex without losing the nuances. And Taylor Lagasse of Kinship is one of those people, in my experience, on this podcast. So we are halfway through talking out how to, um, you know, get get. Uh, using influences in a really intelligent way in e-commerce and uh, there's a very clear path that we're on a roughly six-step process and we're going to go into the next step with taylor so with no further ado let's plunge in and enjoy the show and if i were you i would take detailed notes because this stuff is really really solid 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 content thanks for listening Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers, and indeed multi-channel uh, e-commerce sellers these days, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast family. So today we are talking influencer marketing with Taylor from Kinship. Influencer marketing is very, very fashionable stuff, and I think... I have seen quite a lot of it done well in the 10K Collective Mastermind that I've been running for four years now. And equally, I've seen a lot of people waste a lot of not so much just money, but time and effort on it. So it's clearly easy to get it wrong. So Taylor, you're going to guide us through that. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. My end goal, just to say from the jump on this podcast, is for people that are listening in to be able to take actual items to implement on their end in-house to be able to find success right away. So that's my goal. And I hope we're able to achieve that today. Sounds good. Yes, that's that's a very, very, very good goal. So first thing is then tell us quickly about yourself so that we know who's talking to us. And then let's get into the mistakes that people are making out there. Yeah, Taylor Lags, CEO alongside my partner, Cody Wittick of Kinship. We launched three years ago. Prior to that, I was a digital marketing agency named Common Thread Collective, in which they seed funded us. And prior to that was at NFL marketing agency where predominantly was doing macro influencers, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Clay Matthews, household names in the States, at least we're doing endorsement deals and what have you think state farm commercials per se. Prior to that in college, typical college company started an events business. I was fortunate enough to play uh, football with P Diddy's son at UCLA and was able to see the power of influencer marketing at that time where, you know, his role in the company literally drove any and all revenue just from him posting organically. So all my collective experience has been in the influencer marketing space uh, that has brought me to today where I'm at, at Kinship. Amazing. Yeah. So you obviously got quite a deep dive experience, which is good to know because quite a lot of people come to 
these things after like spotting an opportunity and a, a year later they're setting up an agency and why not but it does help to have experience i think so good to hear that you got that depth of experience to bring so let's plunge in and let's turn that knife so the biggest influencer marketing mistakes that you see amazon and e-commerce sellers make what, what are the big mistakes that people are making that they should be avoiding yeah, the biggest one, quite honestly, is just the pay for post model. The pay for, when people typically think of influencer marketing, right? If you're not too familiar with it, the average person will typically just think, oh, Kim Kardashian, you know, getting paid a million dollars to post on her Instagram feed and, and like, you know, showing her like butt in some sort of capacity. Whereas that's not it whatsoever in any sort of regard. So, that would I would say the biggest problem that people face is just education um, and how to go about this in the right way. At least in the beginning, I don't believe the pay for post model is dead. You know, once you've identified influencers for yourself that are genuine product adopters uh, that have proven to post about you, that have proven to work well organically as well as you know work well when repurposing their content to paid media. There's a time and place for the pay for post model, but there's a much better place to lay the foundations of these relationships that will lend everything you're looking for, revenue, content, organic distribution, all of the above. And that's what I would love to equip everyone listening today to do. Okay. Now I'm going to keep twisting the knife because I think it's important to sort of get people's attention, but also I think sometimes the value you can bring as a coach is just stop doing that. <laughs> it sounds very negative, maybe it's very British, maybe it's the teacher in me. I don't know, but th what are the Please. other ones? I've got, I've got other, other things. So paying per post, mostly not good, although it has its place, which we can dive into. What's the next big mistake that people make? You're a professional at what you do here. I appreciate it. Another thing, influencers are not just a mechanism of distribution. I would also say that they are a form of content creation. So I would say just thinking about the value of influencers as a way to reach audiences through the people that follow them is incredibly limited. But there's a lot of people that do think about them in that way and that way alone. Whereas the biggest arbitrage opportunity within e-commerce, in my opinion, across the board is tapping on influencers for their content creation to supplement your own distribution channels. So after they organically post, being able to repurpose that content across your other distribution channels and viewing them as content creators, honestly, over distributors uh, is something another people get wrong a lot. Yeah, interesting. And and as somebody who's not really an influencer marketer in terms of using other influencer marketers, but I, I suppose to some degree, I am one in the info marketing space, although I'm definitely not the King Kardashian of, of Amazon. Not that I aspire to be, but you know, it's it's interesting that that everything becomes after a while when you've created content, you put your distribution hat on, don't you? And and actually I guess influencer marketing is a blend of the two, which is a bit more subtle. So We'll revisit that. Let's just keep going with the, the mistakes. So if you're doing any of these mistakes, folks, you better keep listening because obviously we'll give, we're not going to leave you hanging. We'll, we'll give you the answers of what you should do instead. But I just want to make sure that we're double checking. We're doing a bit of a sanity check first that, that terrible things aren't happening. What's the third big mistake? Vanity metrics. Uh, a lot of the time people tap on influencer marketing and are judged on vanity metrics you know how many impressions did this campaign lend how many views how many likes how many comments all of these vanity metrics sure pay attention to them but they don't mean much unless they don't mean anything unless it's driving revenue and so what you should be doing is gauging success off of roi here and a lot of the time when you tap on influencer marketing agencies quite honestly 
they're going to put, they're going to set expectations where they're judged on the vanity metrics. No, 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 no. Hold them accountable. Don't let that be the case and uh, make them show attribution to true revenue and sales. The two magic words for me, ROI and attribution. I mean, for me, that's the only sane way to operate. And I'm a bit sort of, and I'm going to end my, my prejudices here. I'm a bit prejudiced against social media, not because I don't use it. I mean, like we're using it right now, for goodness sake, but I'm just never convinced by A, the measurability of it. So the attribution is tricky. We better dig into that later as well. But also I'm just not convinced about how strong the ROI can be. And, and I guess a lot of people sort of veer between, wow, this is really cool. I must be doing this guiltily copying other people because they see them doing it. And then like going, let's give up because we have no idea if there's any ROI. So we'll come back to that because that sounds to me like a critical um, piece for, for any financially driven uh, entrepreneur, i.e. ones that are going to stay in business. <laughs> All right. And then I think we've got a fifth mistake here. What's the final one here? Another one would just be a lot of the time, Michael, pushback we get is from, I think, just an old way of thinking about marketing. The old way and what I am alluding to there is when people have ads that they've run, um, Facebook ads, TikTok ads, whatever it is, they're so used to running ads that are perfectly made, uh, studio shot, positioned just right, beautiful everything, the lighting's dialed in properly. And basically it keeps them from, and they're hesitant to implementing and repurposing all the organic content that we're getting from these influencers into their paid channels because, hey, well, the lighting's not just perfect here and they didn't say it exactly the way I wanted them to. And the camera's not, you know, angled properly here. Whereas this is what makes this content work well at the end of the day. This, listen, these people have proven to create content on the actual social feeds you're looking to advertise on and take that content viral, you know, garner a following, get mass engagement. In the same line of thought, if you repurpose their content the way that it is native to the feed into paid media, it's going to convert at way higher rates than that. Why don't, what people see through us is just salesy, addy content at this point. So I would say that another big mistake here is you know, feeling as though that this content won't perform when in all honesty, it's going to be cheaper to create and it will outperform that content that you got from your studio shoots. Really interesting. I, I guess that comes down to message to market match, right? And it's always the thing that the marketer gets product product centric, which is the worst thing in the world. But second worst thing is kind of marketing centric as opposed to who is out there and what do they want to see and what do they want to see in a certain context as well? I mean, it strikes me that on an Amazon listing, you really want to have crisp, wonderful, great photos because that is a commercial environment. And somehow there's an expectation that things should look good. And whereas if somebody's chatting about something on a Facebook feed and it's totally stylized and you're there in a suit with a sharp lighting on you, probably like I'm right now, maybe that's why I'm not a natural social media animal. It's just too formal. Nobody, nobody jives with that, really. So maybe that's why I like three views for the lives. <laughs> but anyway, I, yeah. It's an interesting point, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we get hung up on our own rules, which are not the rules that the market cares about. <laughs> so look, we, we've hit people over the head enough with, with what we're doing wrong. So I guess that the seeds of the, the solution are in the problems here, but let, let's dive into instead what we should be doing wrong, uh, what should do instead. So pay for posts sounds like it's a bit of a disaster. What's, what's, the, what's the best way of doing this instead? Yeah, I mean, I would just love to give you our process A through Z, what we do. So 
And the best way for me to do that, in all honesty, to communicate it at a high level would just be to take you through our process. And so what that entails is basically on a month-to-month basis, how we're coming alongside the brands that we're partnering with is we're identifying and reaching out to 500 influencers. And this will ultimately lend itself to a process that is called influencer seeding. And we think influencer seeding is the framework and the foundations of every successful influencer marketing program. And you should be doing it on a monthly basis. And after I explain it and walk you through it, you'll see as to why, but just to circle back, it starts with, for us, scale this down, apply the percentages and the numbers that I'll communicate during this segment here, and then try it yourself at the end of the day. Identifying 500 influencers internally for people that are listening may sound overwhelming and scary. Do 50, do 10, do one, just whatever it is, just try it. But how we do it again, we're identifying and reaching out to 500 influencers internally on our end. We use a platform called Tagger to do that part of the process. Transparently speaking, it might be a little expensive if you're looking to just try this out and get your toes in the water. But if you're looking for a free tool, one is Facebook Brand Collabs Manager, free of cost. One more time, that's Facebook Brand Collabs Manager. And then a second tool is also TikTok's uh, creator marketplace. Both great free tools that those platforms individually offer. Are they as robust as the taggers of the world? No, but will it help you find the right people for free? Definitely. So I would definitely recommend those. So when we're identifying these influencers, we want to make sure that they're a brand fit, demographic fit, persona fit, all of that. And these platforms make that incredibly easy to do based off all the quantitative metrics that goes into that. But just as important, if not more importantly, when identifying these people for yourself, make sure that they're phenomenal video content creators. So what do I mean by that? I mean, do they capture my attention in the first three seconds? Are they thumb stopping? Are they charismatic? Are they articulate? Basically, long story short, if you put product in their hands, would they be able to sell me on it as an end viewer? If that box is checked alongside, you know, persona fit, demographic fit, brand fit, all the above, they become one of the 500 influencers that we put in front of brands for their approval. Once they're approved. Like that. (laughs) I was just uh, saying that I think the... Just to reflect quickly on this, and yeah, it's, I'm definitely a podcaster by nature because I like long form content. So I'm sort of struggling to come into the 21st century here with the, the three seconds sounds like a, quite a short time. But but I guess in, in terms of content, rather than worrying about the beautiful studio lighting and somebody saying, "Hi, I'm Michael Beezer from Boring Home Products from Midwesterners or whatever," you get those dreadful things that you yeah. get very television style stuff that I see sometimes, which just make me laugh. Maybe it it, it resonates with some consumers out there. I guess. But you want to get three seconds of the first the first three seconds of video, presumably, is what you want to obsess about, right? If you are creating your own product uh, content, rather, with a view to distribution, to your to your point there. Interesting. Definitely. Three seconds is a short time. That's kind of scary, but it's also, yeah, it's a wake-up call. Sorry, so you, you were getting on to the next stage, so forgive me. So that's the first thing is identification. So finding who's the right person for you with great talent. And um, we've got some useful tools there, which we'll put in the show notes, of course, at 10kcollective.com. So next stage.
and no, please, please cut me off because I can go down a massive rabbit hole here. <laughs> um, so if there's ever any sort of questions that arise, I hope as the host, you'll cut me off so we can dive a little bit deeper into it. But you brought up a great point. Yeah, definitely not after the content creators that can put on a great infomercial per se. You're looking for the people that are just comfortable on camera, that are natural, that are just consistently posting content you know, throughout their days of what they're doing, what they're up to, and you know, what products are a part of that, just naturally seamlessly integrated. That's what you're looking for. Organic, authentic, genuine content creators that do it well based on all that criteria that I already elaborated on. But again, once brands have full approval on that, obviously, if you're doing this internally, you're the one I've identified them. So it's going to be approved in real time. At that point for us, though, 500 influencers are approved. Now we're starting the process of seeding. You'll get an idea of what exactly that entails. So basically all 500 of those influencers will get a message uh, from our team. Ideally, we're reaching out from a brand email, a brand social, both. We want those relationships to exist with the brand, with the Amazon seller, so on and so forth. Uh, They're getting a message sent out saying, hey, Michael, we think you're a great brand fit. We absolutely love the content you consistently put out. We think you'd love our product and we want to send it to you, no strings attached. And what we mean by that is we have no expectation of you to post whatsoever. Just send me your address and we'll get this right out to you. So everyone listening might be like, why the hell would I do that? Well, while we're communicating, we have no expectations. Obviously we do. Otherwise, Michael would not be having me on this podcast. We would not offer this as a service. We would not be in the the business of influencer marketing. So expectations wise, what we typically see, and again, apply these numbers and scale it down to do this internally out of the 500 influencers that we outreach to, we typically see a minimum of 20% opt-in to receive product. So if you identified 50, it'd be 10. We identified 500, we get 100 at a minimum. Out of the 100 that opt in to receive uh, product, and at this step of the process, we actually have a kinship seeding app uh, on Shopify specifically, so not applicable to everyone there, but for Shopify stores, helps you send out product at mass scale. And then from there, I would recommend doing some sort of unboxing experience. Again, why? It lends another great impression on the influencer, makes them feel special, and probably what you guys care about more, we've seen greater, an increase in post rates from these people. They're more likely to post content uh, when they receive a nice packaging uh, around the product. I just want to reflect on what you're doing there, which is a mentality shift for a lot of people. But it's interesting that you are hiring or, or seeking to collaborate with influencers who influence their market. They don't tell them what to do. It's not like a cheap teacher and student relationship. And I guess I'm a teacher in the background, so I'm used to telling people what to do and, and conducting as well, conducting choirs, conducting orchestras. This is a super different environment. And equally, your relationship with the influencer, it strikes me, is all about influencing them. It's not telling them what to do. It's not demanding anything. It's not, you do this and I'll do this. It's just, here's some stuff. Hope you love it. And that's, that's really a different mentality for me. Tell me about how your clients cope with that shift in mentality from, you know, call now, buy now, and that direct response infomercial type thing, which, which can still work in a different way, right? But how does, this, how does that mentality shift take people? Yeah, I mean, well, because well, let, let me just finish the expectations real quick and answer that question. Um, from the 100 that we send product to, then we see a minimum of 30% end up posting free of cost, on average, two to three assets each. So that ends up being 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 unique pieces of content. Then we're following up for usage rights. Hey, Michael, 
So glad, love the product we sent you so much. So you're willing to share this content with your audience. Hey, we'd love to be able to share this content with our audiences as well. Can we have the right to do so? Effectively getting usage rights to all of that content. Now we can reformat it to nine by 16, one by one for Facebook, for paid social ad placement purposes, caption it, create iterations off it. Now we have a hundred plus ads to then distribute through paid media. And so how do we get the clients to reframe their thought process around this? Well, what do you get out of it, right? So through this process, when identifying and reaching out to 500 influencers, you send out 100 products, and then you ultimately end up with 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 assets at a minimum. All of that content posted organically and distributed organically, and then all of that content be able to repurpose and put into your own distribution channels where we'd highly recommend paid media. So it's pretty simple. I mean, at the end of the day, Michael, if you go to any influencer marketing agency in the world, in the world, and ask for 30 influencers, two to three posts each, 60 to 90 assets being posted, and you get usage rights to use that content across your own owned distribution channels, you're looking at a minimum fee of 30K, a minimum fee, minimum. And you just got all of that at the cost of sending out a hundred products. If your cogs are 30 bucks, that's $3,000, that's one-tenth of the price. Yeah. And all these people are genuine product adopters. We like to say like the pay for post, you're getting merc like mercenaries, right? in comparison to like people that love your country that want to go to war for you. Like you're getting genuine product adopters here that authentically love your product because they didn't post because you contractualized them to do so because you paid them to do so because you asked them to do so they did it of their own free will. So yeah. it's way cheaper and it's authentic. Also, it strikes me that the relationship between the, the influencers and the and the market is bound to be influenced by whether the influencer is getting paid, you know, a million dollars of their Kim Kardashian or whatever her rate is, and versus they actually really like the stuff. I understand, for example, Peloton, and I have no affiliation with any of the brands coming up, so please don't sue me, any of the people following. But Peloton and was endorsed by, I believe, Beyonce. If that was wrong, Beyonce's lawyers, then I'm just saying allegedly, right? <laughs> because I know that, you know, that the brand that you got is great, great value. But it strikes me that if somebody spontaneously does that, it's bound to have more value because people pick up on that, I think. So again, it's that influencer versus telling piece that feels like a theme that's emerging for me. And um, that's fascinating to me, but it makes sense as well. If you had to organize and force a response from people, at that scale, then of course it's $30,000 because there's going to be a huge amount of management. Because if you ask somebody to do something, they don't just do it. You have to follow them up and follow up again and then politely but firmly ask them and then eventually say you're breaking your contract and then get lawyers involved. And that's a, a management nightmare. I can see why it would cost $30,000 to manage 100 influences, you know, whereas, you know, the, the organic nature of what you're doing seems to match the medium you're in. In other words, some people will and some won't, but if you accept that and roll with it, it strikes me as a bit like in paid advertising, because for me, that's a bit more of a familiar mindset. And it may be to some listeners that you, you have impressions and then you have clicks. You're only going to pay for clicks if you're doing pay-per-click as opposed to CPM. So it kind of doesn't matter if only 6% of your influencers that you contact are ultimately going to post like 30 out of 500, I'll make that 6% of my masses, right? Because you're only paying for you know, a hundred sets of products, right? So the, the numbers actually are much more friendly than they might appear up front. I like it a lot. Yeah. Very, very smart. So, okay. We've, we've, uh, found people we've identified, we've seeded or outreached to, to people and we're getting a response. What happens uh, after that? Yeah. So I want to touch on one platform that I'd also recommend a part of this process. Again, we don't know who, what, when these people are going to post. Right. So 
people that are listening in like, okay, they sent out a hundred products and then they don't know who's going to post and when they're going to post. So like, what are we just supposed to be like looking up these people's social profiles every day, seeing when and what they post uh, a platform that I would recommend that's incredibly inexpensive and effective uh, is a platform called Mighty Scout. And that's a platform that we use as well. But basically all the people that agree to opt in to receive your product, I would uh, suggest that you input their social handles where you want them to post into this platform. And basically all it does in real time is just aggregate and collect all the content that's being posted uh, by those individuals in real time and showcases when your product is included in their mind that showcases all the organic analytics around the performance of it. And then my personal favorite aspect of the platform is you're able to download that content right there. And then of course, ask for usage rights before you do that. But instead of having to ask that influencer, hey, can you send me that content for us to use, which is just an additional step, it starts making the relationship feel transactional. You know, they may ask for payment at that point. And it just impacts that just no strings attached relationship. If they don't feel like they need to send you anything, it just is so much better. We can download the content right there from Mighty Scout, reformat it, RN, get the caption, create iterations, launch it as ads. So that's the last part of that process that is very important. I would recommend it's like $2 per, you know, influencer that you input into the platform as well. So incredibly inexpensive for the value that it's providing. Well, you really have a very elegant and sort of, I, I, this feels like a business model that's been arrived at after trying a lot of other things that don't work. And I only say that I'm not if it's true because it feels very elegant and flowing and, and stripped down to things that work. Is that the case? Or have you always just kind of, because you've have a big, big history with, with social influences, how did you arrive at this very flowing and elegant model is another question. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head of the nail. I mean, been doing this since college and, and my partner has as well. I mean, that's been what he's been doing since uh, he's graduated too. So we both tried and failed a lot of things. At the end of the day, we both engaged in the pay for post model. I mean, when I was at the NFL marketing agency that I was at, that's where I really, I feel like noticed uh, something was off. I mean, when I was in college and Diddy's son was posting about this stuff organically. The social algorithms organically were different back then. You could post and like real revenue would be driven uh, from those posts and that you could literally build a business off of that. But those days are, are gone. You're getting a little bit of that right now on TikTok where, you know, their social algorithm is unprecedented, what it feels like to take content viral. You're getting a little bit of that. But back then you could post something and it would drive real revenue every time if you had the right person that's just not the case but when i was at the nfl marketing agency you know they always told us don't worry about attribution like sell the brands on the stardom sell them on you know he's the starting quarterback in this market what how could you not want him you know of course he's gonna you know do everything that you hope them to do like sell that and i hated yeah. That sounds um, like um, Mad Men, doesn't it? If you've watched that show, it, right. it's based no, on exactly. that sort of era when you couldn't measure stuff. And brand marketing is, I mean, that's a different thing from direct response marketing, right? But I mean, you can combine the two. My, my friend Rick Cesari, who was behind like the most successful, you know, most famous, like the infomercials, exactly that that 1990s sort of TV thing, Soup, you know, billion dollar sales of, you know, the, the Lean Green Gooding Machine, all that stuff. He's a big fan of branding at the time as direct marketing. So he calls it direct branding. In other words, you don't have to separate the two, but but the branding play is very much about your 
and selling the dream and stuff like Don Draper does so amazingly in right. Mad Men, right? And it strikes me that they were asking you to be Don Draper and you wanted to be somebody who could actually give people a return on their oh, yeah. advertising dollars. Interesting. Right. Interesting. It, was just, it was painful. It was painful because at the end of the day, the problem, you could easily see there was a problem because these brands would invest, you know, 50K, 100K, 500K, depending who it is. And then we'd be on a call after the activation or after the campaign, you know, hey, what were the results here? I, I, it, you're just kind of like, you don't know what to even say because I, I don't know what to tell you. You're right. And then there wasn't any retention. You didn't have many repeat purchasers unless you were literally dealing with like the NFL partners that are just like conglomerates that need to throw money at these different channels and that do so every year without, you know, seeing the direct impact of the you know direct roi so that's why i really wanted to go to common thread collective where everything was attributable super you know oriented around attribution and led to where we're at to today like it thank you for filling that in because whenever somebody's got a really sort of fuss unfussy elegant process i'm like that did not come out of the womb like that has been born from the school of hard knocks because it is never that smooth first time out so yeah which shows you know you obviously the fact that you know how to not do it is incredibly important i think it sounds like a weird thing to say but also it that just reminds me of that I, I can't remember who it was some big american corporation i can't remember any details there's a lousy storytelling here but they spent a hundred million dollars on ads for something that turned out to have zero roi absolutely zero so the way that conglomerates behave is sometimes an absolute lesson in how not to do it they've got so much money they can afford to waste it so they often do so uh, that's another example you know chucking money at the super bowl ads or whatever it is sponsoring some random football player you know who knows it's, it's a terrible behavior pattern <laughs> okay thank you for that so now we've reached obviously we've reached the point where we are you know following people presumably we've got to handle getting the the products out to people that's a bit of a distribution issue isn't it how, how do we handle that side of things well yeah so getting the product out i mean this is a little bit of a shameless plug uh, but again, if you're on Shopify, for all those aren't, I'm sorry, but uh, Kinship Seeding App is a great way to basically just send out mass orders at scale. My partner, uh, this also led to like the seeding philosophy, came from a, a brand called Kalo Silicone Wedding Rings. They were like the founder of the silicone wedding ring space. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Kalo, I'm sure most are familiar with just the silicone wedding ring. Basically, their, <laughs> their cogs were like, 10 cents, right? And so they were able to send out thousands of rings uh, every month. And you brought up a great point, like what a nightmare in getting all of that product out. So it led to the idea for my partner, hey, we should we need to build something that can just zero out all these orders at once and send these out at mass scale. And that's basically in short, instead of doing it one at a time is the problem that this app solves. For people that are not on Shopify, I would find something similar to that as possible because you, you are right. It's going to take someone to do for every single order, which could take some time. But like I'm saying though, do this at a smaller scale to begin with, put it to the test, see if it's worth the investment, the time, all of the above. Yeah, 100%. And they, the, that old phrase, nail it, then scale it, right? People totally obsess uh, and wrong end of the business with how to scale things like all the time. When I speak to people who are just starting a business, like, oh, but you know, I can't scale hand producing that that face cream in my, my kitchen. I'm like, no, and I don't suggest you do because you'll drive yourself crazy. But if you have zero market adoption, why not create 100 units at home and see if somebody buys it? 
and then go and have conversations with people who can you know scale that up for you so yeah like scaling is a problem that comes down the line also i would say that given that shopify isn't incredibly expensive and that that people should be thinking in terms of multi-channel and that medium longer term for multiple reasons business continuity amongst them i would suggest that, that the more serious established amazon sellers i've got generally have a shopify store anyway and you could just put the plug in and just use it even only for that it would take care of a, you know a bit of a major problem in a very elegant way. Okay, so, so far, let's review. So we have identified the right influences and reached out to 500 a month, or maybe you're suggesting started with 50 or fewer. You've outreached to them in your seeding process. You've got the products out to them. And then you, you talked about attribution and tracking before. Let's tell me a little bit more about that. How do we, we've got this tool, Mighty Scout. How do we use that in the most elegant way so we don't go crazy trying to track 500 influences? Yeah, so Mighty Scout will pretty much give you like the impression, the views, the engagement, kind of those vanity metrics that we tapped on in the beginning at this first step of seeding. Again, I would recommend doing it every month. It's kind of like the top of the funnel to your influencer marketing program. Have it rolling every month. In short, you're not going to be able to provide these people at this step of the process through seeding with tracking links, right? It would negate the entire philosophy of we're giving no strings attached, palms down. So what we typically run the numbers in your head. So in our process, 60 to 90 posts, right? Let's average it out at 70. And again, this is conservative. It's a minimum amount. And then let's say, you know, the average influencer that we sent product to has 50,000 followers that ends up posting 50,000 followers times 75 posts. You're looking at 3.75 million impressions, 1% click-through rate, relatively conservative, 37,500 website visits, 1% conversion rate, hope that's conservative, 375 purchases, multiply that number by your AOV, your LTV, whatever you're most comfortable with. That's a conservative hypothetical of what you can expect organic from the organic performance from an ROI perspective. And then you know, on the other side of this, again, the other half of this value here is what are 60 to 90 unique assets worth to you and your business to be able to repurpose across your own channels? Yeah, so I'm just trying to run the numbers here. So 37, 3.75 million impressions, 1% click-through rate brings us down, and then 1% conversion rate should be, I'm making like like 37,000 conversions. That sounds a little bit high, but is that something about right? I mean, how does this sort of numbers work out in terms of, you know, how do you actually make money out of it, which is the bit that always interests me. Yeah, three. Yeah. No, I think I got the math wrong. Three hundred seventy-five thousand conversions. That's absolutely no, gigantic. No, no. no, that's not correct. <laughs> three point seven five million impressions at a one yeah. percent click-through rate, yeah. close to thirty-seven thousand five hundred website visits or Amazon, yeah. no site visits. One yeah. percent conversion rate ends up at three hundred seventy-five purchases. Just three hundred seventy-five. And then, again, this is a okay. con- conservative hypothetical example, but. Just on that alone, you know, again, at the cogs of 100 products, that's a great, you know, ROI nonetheless. Yeah. Then again, what are 60 to 90 unique assets working in your business? There's content studio shoots out there for five unique concepts that turn into 30 to 40, you know, iterations off of that charge 15 to 20K at a minimum. You just got 60 to 90 unique concepts and you can turn into as many iterations as you want. So another way of putting this is a bit, again, I guess from some more hardcore direct response world that I seem to be dr- drilled into mentally more than I thought. This is so interesting, by the way, and this is revealing a lot about my mentality, why I haven't kind of got social media. And I hope that this is useful for you if you're listening as well, if you're an e-commerce seller or, or beyond. Um, 
what you've just done, it strikes me as you put just, I like to think in terms of black box because I care about return on investment. Everything else is just a means to an end as far as I'm concerned. So I'm really, really with you on the metrics thing. I'm so glad that you don't care about the managing metrics. So if you put in $2,000 at the front end and you end up with what I think is about 3,750, if you've got say an average average order value of $10 or let's say $20 at 7,000, then you've got to take off the cost of goods sold for a hundred. So let's say in that case, it's maybe $5 a unit. So that's like 5,000. So you've almost broken even on the front end, which means that all the content creation is effectively free. Michael, I think I lost you for a second here. Oh, interesting. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast. I was really excited by Taylor's great information today. So Taylor Lagasse from Kinship, obviously a veteran of influencer marketing. And uh, the big mistakes that you're making, I think are really useful. Just I'd ask you to go away and check if you are making those. The first one is, are you paying per post in a non-structured way? Are you not repurposing content? You're thinking of it as a distribution network, not content creation. Are you missing that piece? Are you obsessing with vanity metrics like likes and comments and things like that and missing the return on investment? And are you trying to go for macro, not micro? That is to say, um, you know, the old school um, marketing values or production values that actually don't matter. If it looks too slick and corporate, that's I'm going to serve you. And instead of which, the two basic things that we've covered so far, the more or less five or six part framework that Taylor has are identifying who to reach out to to make it sure it's a really great match for um, people who are going to love your brand and the demographic. In other words, their followers are your kind of people that, that, that you want to reach as customers. And then the whole outreach process, which I think is super smart, the way you do it. And above all, reaching out without expectation or rules, I think is very, very smart. Um, there's been an awful lot of trying to people trying to manipulate their reputation online in general in the e-commerce space, and in particular, Amazon and review manipulation. This strikes me as more finding the people who love your products in a more organic way. And it strikes me as more sustainable and much smarter, more strategic, weirdly, even though you have less than less direct control, but you have more influence and the word influence you know suggests itself in influence marketing right your relationship with the influencers can be based on influence itself is one of the messages i'm getting from today's show um really fantastic information i think and it's given me renewed faith that um influencer marketing can be done in a rational return on investment based way which is how i like to do it in the end financial numbers are the ones that get me excited that and really great quality marketing good message to market match understanding your consumer creating content of all kinds that really really resonates with them and it feels to me like taylor's got both sides of that and dialed in so if you want to check out what they do it's not cheap stuff but it's really amazing return on investment and by the way we're going to talk about the sort of roi that you can expect from a well-known process like this in the next show but if you want to check out kinship just go to kinship k y n for november ship dot co to schedule a call with taylor or his team um if you want to go ahead their typical offering is about ten thousand dollars a month offering so it's not going to be a casual decision but the return on investment may be really worth it if your brand is in the right position if you want to go ahead then they're offering any listeners of the podcast or watchers of the the podcast channels 25 percent off which is a, a pretty generous discount but more importantly i think it's good for you to go away and reflect on these things and reach out to Taylor and his team if you want to explore the possibility of working with them. Obviously, it's going to be a multi-touch process if you even want to consider that sort of serious investment. 
but very clearly they know what they are doing. Um, I'm personally very impressed with their approach. It's quite refreshingly different to the vanity metrics driven stuff I see out there in the social media space. And uh, that's a very rational business-like way of investing. I think I like that a lot. So if you want to check that out, um, kinship.com with a Y is the place to go. And thank you very much for listening to the show. As ever, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast player of your choice or on YouTube, if that's where you've caught this. And um, don't forget to keep listening to the stuff that we put out there to get you the best possible path to a seven-figure exit and to enjoy the process and get some more profits on the way as well.